Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we have received the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing amiss. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. I think the things that Jesus said from the cross have a lot more meaning than we normally give them credit for. And I hope that we in this series can uncover some of those deep things that he really said from the cross. He began his statements on the cross, as we noted last week, with a prayer. And his prayer was that God would forgive all of those people that were doing this to him. And in today's passage, verse 43, we find he is granting a request, or he is granting a petition of a prayer when the thief beside him asked to be remembered, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's look at the scene. Jesus has been condemned and taken out to Calvary. But with him were taken two thieves. This really was the execution day for three people. The other one was named Barabbas. He was a murderer, insurrectionist. But he was released in order that Jesus might be crucified at the request of the crowds. And so there are three people hanging on three crosses on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And crowds are gathered around to watch this execution and the soldiers are there to see that it is accomplished. And some, maybe all, but some of his followers, his apostles, were somewhere in the vicinity. Only John seemed to be of this group and the mother of Jesus at the foot of the cross. We're reminded of Isaiah 53 when Isaiah told us that he was numbered with the transgressors. He didn't need to be here, but he was. Counted nothing more than another person deserving of execution. And in the middle of all of this personal suffering, that he himself was feeling because of the 
tremendous pain of the pull of the nails in his hands and his feet, the agony that it was causing his entire body. He asked for forgiveness of others, and then he takes the time to be concerned about one single person who was hanging beside him. There was a conversation going on on the ground. People were saying, if you're the Christ, then prove it by coming down off that cross. He saved others, he said, but himself he can't save. One of these thieves threw the very same thing in his teeth and said, if you really are the Christ, then save yourself and us. But the other one apparently had been observing the manner in which this man was suffering and saw something in him that nobody else seemingly was seeing and that here was a man hanging that did not deserve to die. And that there was something about this man out of the ordinary. And he began to realize that the man in the middle was indeed a, the Son of God. The one who apparently they had been looking for for all of these many, many years had come in their midst and now he was being executed. And he said to his fellow hanging on the other side of Christ, we deserve this death. But this man, he's done nothing amiss. Then he turned to Jesus and he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. I want to look at three things particularly about this episode. First of all, I want us to notice the repentance of the sinner. We don't know why he went wrong, but somewhere in the background of this man's life he took a wrong turn. And he went down a one-way street that led him to a block wall that finally put him upon a cross to be executed for his crimes, and he admitted that he was guilty and deserved to die for it. He wasn't asking for mercy from the people below for he knew that he deserved what he was getting. I cannot look at his life without realizing that he simply exemplifies us all in that somewhere along the line didn't most of us, if not all of us, take a wrong turn. We went the wrong way, did the wrong thing, said the wrong thing, acted the wrong way. It got us in trouble. And it was about to condemn us to hell. Until we looked sideways and saw this same person 
cried out the same way this man did. The man said, Lord, remember me. He could have jumped his knees and said, Lord, forgive me. That's what we cried. He was convicted of his sin. He said to his fellow on the opposite side of Jesus, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condition? Listen, I think we need to understand the first emotion that a person will experience most likely before he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ is the emotion of fear. The psalmist said it well in the 111th Psalm, the 10th verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If there is no one, nobody, no future to fear, then why bother with this thing of being saved? If there is not a reason or something to be saved from. I've always, in my ministry, been expecting that when I ask someone, are you saved, they're going to say, from what? Nobody has ever done that yet. But I'm prepared with the answer in case they do. Because it infers there is something pending that is about to destroy them and they need to be saved from it. Whenever you hear he was saved in the secular terminology of being rescued from a mine accident or from drowning or from a fire, he was saved, we already know, understand that we mean he was saved from death by some heroic act. And when we talk about in spiritual terms being saved, we automatically understand that it is meaning we have been saved from an eternal death. And that is a thing to be feared. That a person would go out into eternity to meet God without adequate preparation, knowing that the condemnation, the sentence, is going to be eternal damnation. The man was afraid when he looked across there and saw the righteousness of Jesus hanging there and dying needlessly. He began to see himself for what he was, a sinner lost and condemned to hell forever. That was the beginning of his conviction. His conscience was touched. He recognized somebody was dying for somebody else. I suppose that most of us look in a mirror 
at least once a day. Some of you ladies look in the mirror every time you get a chance. You know, do all the things necessary to make sure that you are presentable. Some of us guys ought to do it more often. We don't show it too good. But even we look in the mirror from time to time to find out if we're presentable. We like what we see. I suspect that most of us find difficulty liking what we see staring back at us. But I want to suggest that we ought to look in a spiritual mirror that gives us a reflection of the condition not of our face, but of our soul. And see what it's like. And it might make a change in us if we honestly saw that reflection. <coughs> we might hate what we see. Isaiah said on one occasion, Woe is me! For I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. What he was saying is, I see myself in the image of God, and I don't like what I see. I am a person that is totally disrupted and undone and unfit and incapable of receiving the presence of God. This man on the cross saw himself in the spiritual mirror. He didn't like what he saw. He became afraid. He cried out for mercy. Let's look and see what he said. He said, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verse 42. Two things I want you to notice about that. First of all, he called him Lord. That might have been just simply a, a name like we would say, Sir, but I, I prefer to think that it was more than that. He called him Lord. Listen. That very famous and dynamic verse in Romans 10.9 says it well. If thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What did it say? Confess with thy mouth the Lord. Believe in your heart. The two must go together. If we have a tongue, we must use it to declare that Jesus is Lord. You may remember the advertisement that was on television some time ago, but I recall it, of a mechanic who was referring to your automobile, you need to do so, I don't know whether it was Midas or one of those, and uh, he was saying, 
It's like this, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. I want to paraphrase that. It's like this. You can confess now or you will confess later. Philippians 2, 10. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If a person does not confess him as Lord upon this earth, he will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and on his knees he will say, Jesus is Lord. That will include Saddam Hussein and Adolf Hitler and every person that has opened an eye and breathed a breath in this world will on knees confess Jesus is Lord. The trouble is, great multitudes of those people will have made the confession too late to escape the damnation of hell. He said, when you come in your kingdom, well, if there was a kingdom, there was a king. And Jesus, of course, is king. Well, he certainly didn't look like a king. He looked anything but a king as he was hanging there on that cross, naked, bleeding, a crown of thorns on his head, his hair, no doubt, matted, very unappealing, but the thief saw in him the road of salvation, and he cried out, Lord, remember me. When the angel made the announcement of the birth of Christ, we have had it recorded in Matthew, the first chapter. The angel said, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This man nailed to a cross, helpless, can he save anybody? Isn't it rather ironic that a person in the most helpless condition that you could possibly imagine is the one that's going to save all of the world? And yet that's exactly the picture. I want you to notice something about this episode. I see this as a perfect picture of salvation by grace. Jesus said to the man who was rotten to the core, who had never perhaps done any good thing in his life, who had not been baptized, who was not a member of any recognized uh, body, Certainly not the church, of course it wasn't in existence yet, but he represents, he represents those who are saved by a confession, a declaration, a receiving of Christ into his life, but not one thing good did he do to deserve 
what he got. Not one. He represents us all who cannot claim our goodness or our baptism or our church membership or all the other things that we might want to put into that category saying I deserve it because I've done this, this, and this. He represents the only method of salvation without benefit of goodness or deeds or baptism or church membership was welcomed into the family of God and received with Jesus into paradise that very day. Why? Because he confessed with his mouth what he believed in his heart. And so he was saved. What is his reward? <laughs> Today, thou shalt be with me, thou shalt be with me. <coughs> Paul said, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The reward, matter of fact, I think we need to talk about two rewards. First of all, sin has its reward. The thief on the cross said, we received our due reward, our just reward. We deserve what we're getting. The scripture says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The reward for sin is death. It will be rewarded. Every person who lives a life of sin will get a reward for his life. In proportion to the way he's lived, so will he be rewarded. Sin equals death as the reward. But this man who was about to receive a reward for sin ends up receiving a reward called salvation because he believed in his heart and he confessed with his mouth. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The man had no Bible to lead him. The man had apparently no righteous family to guide him. He had no church to teach him, no preacher to, to lead him all he had was a real deep down awareness in his heart that there was hanging the Son of God whose purpose it was to take away the sin of the world and he was one of those. One of the things that's going to happen on the day of judgment is people are going to try to justify their actions. All the lost are going to stand there and begin to explain why they ought not be cast into hell. And many of them are going to say, well, I just didn't understand. I didn't have time to read the Bible. Nobody told me. Nobody took me to church. And on and on it will go. Listen, those excuses will not hold. Every man's life will be 
accountable to God without excuse of what somebody did or did not do to help or to hinder. There were two men hanging on each side of Christ. One heart was broken. One heart was hardened. Both were near death. One died. One lives forever. There's a hymn that we sing. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. I don't know the condition of your heart, but I hope that you might see yourself in relationship to the figure on the center cross. And maybe if there's the need in your life, cry out to him, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Or to put it in modern day terms, Lord, forgive my sins and save my soul. And he'll say, today, you'll be with me. You'll be saved. But it's your decision. You're not a For those of us who are, we surely ought to renew afresh the time of our conversion when we experience that tremendous fear of what might happen should we die and not know the Lord. And thank Him for the salvation that we have. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.